0: Hello, and welcome to Stories from India, a podcast where we talk about myths, legends and folk tales from India. I am your host, Narad Muni, and I'm a mythological character myself. I have the gift of eternal life and knowledge of the past, the present and the future. By profession, I'm a travelling musician and a storyteller. So the way I'm doing my job is by podcast. First of all, I wish all of you a happy Independence Day. In the last episode, I promised to do a folk tale from Kashmir. And that's exactly what we are doing today. This story was requested by one of you listeners. So thank you for the suggestion. We'll see the medieval Indian equivalent of Instacart or Big Basket, where the kinds of items being delivered get steadily worse. But at least, the tips do improve. So let's dive right in. The king was walking in the forest. You might be wondering, was it a dark forest with dangerous warnings and creepy crawlies on the forest floor? like so many we've seen before on the show. You bet it was. And right away, he ran into the most dangerous creature in that forest. But he wasn't scared. He looked at the woman standing before him. She was the most beautiful woman he had seen in his whole life. She was perceptive too. Straight away, she could see that he was miserable. What's got your goat? she inquired. A succession problem, he said. I don't have any children and I'm tired of working. Most kings my age have retired. Ah, so you're a king? she asked. Yes, and my name is Raja. The woman smiled. Well, be glad your parents didn't call you Praja. That would have been funny. Anyway, I'm Diane, she said. Well, if you're having trouble, have you tried finding a queen? The king held up his hand and indicated his ring finger, which had seven wedding rings. Hmm, maybe you just haven't found the right queen yet. Now, if you were to marry me, I can promise you that you won't be childless for long. The king somehow bought into this idea. Even though he had known this woman only for a few minutes, he blindly accepted her claim. Well, I guess there is space on my finger for one more wedding ring, he told her. So the wedding happened. Raja's seven queens looked on and handled it quite well. Their privileges were going to be scaled down just a tiny bit. Instead of sharing everything between the seven of them, they would now be sharing everything between the eight of them. Or so they thought. But Dayan was not an ordinary human queen. Like them. She had special needs, and that included a craving for animal flesh. Every night, after the kingdom had gone to sleep, Diane would sneak out and find an animal to feast on. She started with sheep and progressed to horses and elephants. She would kill the animal brutally eat some of its flesh, and sneak back into bed before anyone noticed. The remains of those animals shocked the stable hands every morning. But no one had the courage to report it up their management chain. Things came to a bad end one day, when the king wanted to go partying. He had just had great news. Each of his first seven wives was expecting a baby. He was certain that this was all because Diane had done something. He couldn't explain how that had happened. But he didn't care. He just figured that centuries in the future, people would work out the science behind this. For now, he just wanted to celebrate. And like most other kings on the show... The way he wanted to celebrate was by going hunting. He called for his horse and was surprised when they called him an Uber instead. Well, Raja was not going to get into a cab to go hunting. He wanted a horse right now. My kingdom for a horse, he said. Nay, your highness. We are fresh out of horses, a stable hand said, sheepishly. He explained everything they had been seeing for the last few days. That only annoyed the king. Raja was frustrated, but he got a little bit of revenge on the stable hands by firing all of them. We don't have any animals. Why should I pay you? he told them. But the problem persisted. Animals all over his kingdom continued to be silently killed every night. His queens noticed his worries, of course. But none of the seven human queens could do anything about it. His eighth queen had an idea. In Raja's mind, this just reinforced her status as his favorite queen. She promised to him that the next day she would catch the criminals who were doing this. Criminals? In plural? asked Raja. But the stable hands reported only one set of bite marks. There are seven of them, said Diane. I'll bring you evidence by tomorrow morning. That night... Diane snuck out as usual. She had had to travel farther and farther from the palace every night. But she didn't mind. She could fly. She found a sheep, promptly killed it, and ate her fill. She kept aside a large quantity of the sheep's remains, though. Returning to the palace she quietly spread the remains all over the bedrooms of her seven fellow queens. And as an extra measure, she smeared the queen's mouths with blood from the sheep. Early the next morning, she woke up Raja and broke the news. You wouldn't have believed me if I told you. But you married a demoness. You married seven evil demonesses. Just go check their bedrooms if you want proof. Raja could not believe his ears. But he did believe his eyes. The king did not bother to think too much about the suspicious timing of the animal deaths, the lack of a trail of blood anywhere, the lack of canine teeth on his queens, or the absence of any complaints from the palace washerwoman or the palace cleaning lady about blood on the queens' sheets. He concluded that Diane was absolutely right and that his queens must be irreversibly punished for their crimes. If later circumstances proved her wrong... Well, there was no chance of that, so why think about it? He didn't even think it was worth having his forensic department get their dental impressions and compare them to the bite marks. Raja had a gruesome punishment lined up for them. He had them blinded and dropped at the bottom of a deep well. Forgetting about them completely, he went back to his life. With his queens, he had also lost the children they were expecting. But that was fine with him. He didn't want demon children. He was certain of that. Meanwhile, the seven blind queens at the bottom of the well somehow managed to survive. They lived on whatever mushrooms they could find at the bottom of the well. And they managed to give birth as well. Unfortunately, none of the babies survived. Except one. They named the baby girl Rajkumari. Several years passed. Rajkumari grew up in the well. That's where she took her first steps. That's where she said her first word. And that's where she completed her education. It was the only environment she knew. And yet, her mom and her aunts frequently reminded her that there was a whole world out there. Fat chance, thought Rajkumari. But she was going to be proved wrong. Typically, when parents track their child's height, they might mark off spots on the wall not so here in the well. Instead, every day, the queens stood on each other's shoulders and lifted Rajkumari. And every day, she was not tall enough to reach the top of the well. Finally, though, one day when Rajkumari was fully grown, she could just about reach the top of the well. She hoisted herself up And out of the only home she had known. For someone who spent their entire life in a dark well with no sunlight, Rajkumari adjusted remarkably well to the bright sunlight outside. She coolly put on her aviators and called out to the only family she knew, I'll soon be back with food. As it happened, This well was in the garden of the royal cook. Somehow, the cook had been completely oblivious to the former queens living at the bottom of the well in her yard. When Rajkumari wandered over and made polite conversation, the cook assumed that she was just a traveler. She offered the princess food, which the princess promptly accepted and took back to her mom and her aunts. The queens had finally had something to eat besides mushrooms, and they were grateful for it. It would have been nice if Rajkumari also thought of dropping them a rope. But she didn't. And weirdly, none of the queens suggested that either. Over time, Rajkumari showed up at the cook's store more and more often. And soon, the cook began using her as an apprentice in the kitchen. Rajkumari was the easiest help to have around. She did all the work and didn't need a pay. She helped get rid of all the leftovers too. The cook didn't know what Rajkumari did with the food But she didn't care. One day, the cook had to be away for a day. And she couldn't really do the cooking. It's weird that the palace had a single point of failure for such an important task as preparing food for the king. But when that happened, the responsibility of cooking fell to Rajkumari. And Rajkumari stepped up. The king was so impressed, he sent for the cook the next day and thanked her for an amazing meal. The cook confessed that it wasn't her, it was her apprentice. I deeply appreciate your honesty, Raja told the cook. And I also appreciate all the service you and your family have performed for me and all my forefathers. But now that I know... Rajkumari can cook so well. I won't be needing you anymore. You're fired. Rajkumari, in her position as royal cook, now also drew a salary. She also became the official owner of the yard and the well where her family was trapped. Somehow, she still did not invest in a rope or a ladder or anything else to pull them out. She did send them all kinds of rich food though. One day, Dayan noticed the new cook. She was curious and struck up a casual conversation with the girl. Not suspecting anything and not knowing what Dayan really was, Rajkumari explained how she had been brought up in a well and how her mom and her aunts were all blind. Diane was angry and scared. This girl here could take up the throne if her story came out. She resolved to take some immediate action. She pretended to be ill one day and bribed the physician to prescribe the milk of a tigress. The king despaired. He told Dayan, No one is man enough to even go into the forest, let alone meeting a tigress and getting her milk. You're right, said Dayan. No one is man enough. You need a woman for this job. Send Rajkumari. I'm sure she'll get it. The king was reluctant not so much because of the prospect of putting the life of a young person in danger he was reluctant to lose his most excellent cook but diane she was going to make gulab jamuns today he protested diane simply glared at him and he meekly said oh all right i'll send her but i was keen on those gulab jamuns We'll have to get takeout till she's back. He issued the order and Rajkumari got on it right away. She was offered a bow and arrow to take with her. But she declined. Instead, she went shopping. After spending most of her budget at the shopping mall, she walked all the way into the forest and began searching for a tigress. It was a long walk, carrying all those packages. But she continued. Not long into the forest, she found exactly whom she was looking for. A mother tigress playing with her three cubs. Without hesitating one bit, Rajkumari walked right up to the tigress and introduced herself. To her surprise, The tigress did not bite her head off. We tigers have an unfair reputation. We are just here minding our own business. Most of the time, it's you foolish people who start the fight. Last month, a soldier of yours stepped on my uncle's tail. Naturally, my uncle attacked him. You can hardly blame him for that. But your newspapers were full of how evil tigers are. I understand, ma'am, said Rajkumari. These things happen all the time. But let me assure you, I come in peace. I even have some toys for your children. She passed around gift-wrapped boxes that the cubs pounced on. Rajkumari had brought them balls of yarn. This is great and thank you, said the tigress. But what do you want from me? Surely you must want something. Those balls of yarn look pretty expensive to me. I just need some of your milk, asked Rajkumari. That is, if you are willing to share it, Of course, of course, said the tigress, genially. But don't you know that your queen is tricking you? She intended for you to be killed by sending you to me. Besides, she's a demoness. The tiger milk won't help her. Watch. And with that, the tigress poured a single drop of milk on a boulder. It immediately crumbled into a thousand pieces. My milk is incredibly powerful, but on a demoness, it has no effect. You'll see when she drinks it. Rajkumari was reluctant to believe a word against the queen. Dayan had been totally nice to her, but she didn't contradict the tigress. She returned to the palace Diane was shocked that Rajkumari had returned. She drank the milk and pretended to be cured. No one doubted that the milk was indeed from a tigress and not a grocery store buy. Let's just say that the tigress and Rajkumari had probably posted a selfie together on social media. Diane was looking for another excuse to get Rajkumari out of the way. She did not think that the whole fake sickness thing might work if she tried it again. So instead, she asked for simply a message to be delivered to her grandfather. Now, her grandfather was a demon too, as you might expect, a super powerful one. She knew he was vicious and would kill any human on sight. Rajkumari did not sense a trap, despite the tigress's warning. She walked right up to the address that Diane had given her and rang the doorbell. It was opened by a hideous monster, who immediately tried to grab her. The quick-thinking Rajkumari blurted out, Grandpa, don't hurt me. That made the demon pause. Did you call me grandfather? I cannot be your grandfather. You're right. You're my great-grandfather. I'm Diane's daughter, lied Rajkumari. Okay, I'm glad you're here then. My back is itchy. Can you please scratch it? Rajkumari did not cringe. She immediately realized that this was a trap. Someone with demon blood would be expected not to be soft or gentle. She took out her knife and scratched grandpa demon's rough back. Grandpa, who didn't realize she was using a knife, was quite convinced that this really was his great-granddaughter. The next day, Rajkumari returned to the palace, yet again surprising Dayan. And despite meeting Dayan's very demon-like grandpa, Rajkumari continued to give her the benefit of doubt. For a while. When Dayan gave her her third task, however, Rajkumari decided that she must not be too careless. She had had a close shave with Grandpa Demon, she might not be so lucky this time. Her task was to deliver a letter to Diane's grandma. Rajkumari looked at the envelope and then realized that it wasn't even sealed. Was Diane really stupid enough to think that Rajkumari didn't know how to read? She quickly took out the letter and was shocked. By its contents. It simply said, Dear Grandma, I am sending you dinner. Hope she is tastier than the last one. Rajkumari decided that two could play at that game. She quickly forged a new letter in the queen's handwriting. It asked Grandma Demon to treat Rajkumari like royalty. Rajkumari was the heir to the demon clan, the letter said. And it worked. The princess was given the most royal treatment by Grandma Demon. After spending a couple of days in the lap of luxury, Rajkumari was ready to depart. But Grandma Demon did not want her to go without giving her a ton of gifts. She gave the princess three jars. If you pour the sand from this one, it will instantly become an incredibly tall mountain. If you pour the needles from the second one, they'll become huge thorns, the kind that can stop any army, like in the Sleeping Beauty movie. And the water from the third jar can make a huge lake appear. Rajkumari thanked her and would have left, but Grandma Demon had more gifts. A spinning wheel, seven roosters, a pigeon and a sparrow. Nothing will happen to any of us demons as long as these are safe. The spinning wheel represents me. The pigeon is your grandpa. The sparrow is for Diane and the rooster's are for Diane's seven very powerful brothers. That's just what I needed, said Rajkumari. It's a bit of a hassle, but I suppose I will be able to carry everything. But grandma had one final gift, a potion that could restore sight to the blind. That's very convenient. Can I possibly get some rope too? She asked. Are you being a cheapskate? Asked grandma. Go buy your own from a hardware store. So Rajkumari did. But first, the moment she was out of sight of grandma, she quickly destroyed the spinning wheel and killed the roosters and the pigeon. I know this is animal cruelty and all. But think of all the other animal lives that I am saving, she told herself. Rajkumari took the potion straight to the well. She did also stop by a hardware store and was finally able to pull out the seven queens. And then she restored their sight and then took them all to the palace and confronted Dayan right in front of Raja. Dayan? was about to leap on her when Rajkumari quickly grabbed the sparrow and killed it. Instantly, Dayan fell down. She was no more. And with that, she also changed into her original form, which was definitely that of a demon. That seemed to have finally made the king acknowledge, after 20 years of marriage, that maybe... All was not normal with his eighth wife. By a lot of conjecture, they filled in the remaining planks. Rajkumari ruled the kingdom from that point on. And she was definitely great at defending it, thanks to those wonderful gifts from Grandma Demon. The only catch? It fell to the common people to put all the sand, the needles and the water back into the jars when Rajkumari was done playing with them. That's all I have for this week. A few notes on the show. The original version of the tale was a lot more gory, with a lot of people making questionable and irreversible choices. In the original story, the queen survived not on mushrooms, but on something far worse. In most versions of the tale, the protagonist is male, but I went with the female version because that seemed more appropriate. The arch-villain and her super-powerful grandma are both female in the original tale as well. It's not explained in the story how the queen survived for so long in the well, or even how Diane survived for so long without killing more animals, all the while Rajkumari was growing up. While this is a Kashmiri folktale, it is not exclusively so. There are variations of this in many states in the country, as far south from Kashmir as Maharashtra and Telangana. The names again represent what the characters do. Raja means king, And in case you didn't get Dayan's joke earlier in the story, Praja is the Hindi word for subject. Subject meaning those people that a king rules over, not a handle for a topic being discussed. Dayan means witch, though strictly speaking, she was a Rakshasi or a demoness in the story and not a witch per se. Rajkumari means princess. That's all I have for this week. In the next episode, we'll do two folk tales from Gujarat. One of them was especially suggested by one of you listeners, so thank you for that. If you have comments or suggestions, or if there are particular stories that you would like to hear, please do let me know by leaving a comment or a review on the site sfipodcast.com or tweet at sfipodcast.com. You can also find me on Instagram and Facebook. Be sure to subscribe to the show to get notified automatically of new episodes. A big thank you to each and every one of you for your continued support and your feedback. The music is from purpleplanet.com. That's purple-planet.com. I'll see you next time.